Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. Today I am going to do a look at chapters four and five from Wild Beyond the Witchlight. These are the final two chapters from Wild Beyond the Witchlight. If you want to see each of my breakdowns of each of the chapters, I have a playlist for all of Wild Beyond the Witchlight, which you can find in the show notes below. I'm also going to be doing a short review of the entire adventure now that I've completed it, so you'll be able to see that probably in a little bit, or maybe it's already available and it's also in that playlist. If you like this video, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter, where you'll get a free PDF adventure generator and also a weekly D&D article sent directly to your inbox. You can also support me directly on Patreon or pick up any of my books. All of the links for that are in the show notes below. I also have a bunch of notes. Which I also have a bunch of notes for this video, which I will also link in the show notes below. So if you'd rather just quickly read through all of the notes and focus on what you want to focus on, feel free to do so. I won't be insulted. So I wanted to start this video out by offering my main recommendations for running these two chapters from Wild Beyond the Witchlight, chapters four and five. This is the chapter on Yon and the chapter on the Palace of Heart's Desire. First, you've, if you've watched any of my videos about Wild Beyond the Witchlight, you'll know that I added something I call dreadful incursions. Dreadful incursions are essentially areas where domains of from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft have bled into Prismere. This gives me an opportunity to introduce some interesting monsters that the characters can just fight, or it lets me draw in bigger plot lines. It ends up that one of the Dark Lords from one of the Domains of Dread ended up becoming the main villain in my campaign. That was Vladeska Drakov from the Domain of Falkovnia. It ended up working out really, really well. And I've been doing this since the beginning of the game, since the very first session of the game. I've been adding in these small dreadful incursions, but they've been getting bigger and bigger, and more and more important. It gave me this interesting juxtaposition position between the wild and whimsy of Wild Beyond the Witchlight and the dark and brooding nature that you find in the Domains of Dread from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. So that has continued to work out. It actually worked out throughout the entire campaign. It made a really interesting conclusion to the campaign, and I'm really happy that I did it. It worked out really well. If you want to know more about Dreadful Incursions, there, I have an article that's linked in the show notes below where you can learn all about them. Wild Beyond the Witchlight, and these two chapters in particular, just have tons of NPCs. There's so many NPCs in this adventure that it can get actually very overwhelming as a D and certainly can be overwhelming for players if you introduce them all. You don't need to introduce them all. There's lots of NPCs that don't really serve much of a purpose other than being just kind of an interesting character. They might come in, they might have their own little quest line, and they might have some other conclusion. You don't have to worry about it. You can just sort of take it out. If your players happen to mention an NPC that they've met before and they want to follow a quest, you might bleed them back in. But you can do a lot of like NPC testing. Introduce an NPC, see if they resonate with the players. If they do, hang on to them and use them continually. If they don't, let them just fade away. You can also look at what NPCs are interesting to you and decide whether you want to leave them in or take them out. For example, I didn't really like the idea of the oil can that served as the guide from thither to yon. So I ended up replacing with Little Oak. Little Oak is this big walking Trent that's also like a big treehouse for the getaway gang. In my game, they're known as the friendly urchins. And I thought the idea of Little Oak, a Trent that is able to walk through the mists to get from thither to yon would work really well. And it did. And it also brought an entire character home base from one domain to the other. So it meant that the characters got to keep their base of operations that they had been sort of operating on in Thither. They could bring it to Yon and operate on it there as well. That worked out really well. I also used Dreadful Incursions so that the Trent actually was walking through one of the mists, one that was filled with were-rats and poison and weird plagues and stuff like that. Big world full of plagues. It was really cool and really interesting. The main point is you do not have to include every NPC that it shows up in the book. You get to decide which NPCs you want to drop in there. You can move the role from one NPC to another and that can work really well. And you can just kind of pick what you want. Likewise, you don't have to use every single section and every little hook that exists inside each chapter. There were a lot of things that I did ended up not using from certainly from the chapter on Yon, but also primarily from the Palace of Heart's Desire, uh, the final chapter. 
I think I only ran three chambers out of 51 when I ran that chapter, which is why I'm combining this video with both chapters. I don't really have much to say about chapter five. Like every campaign, you get to pick what you want to drop in and what you want to leave out. There's lots of interesting things for these campaigns that you can drop in. There's lots of things that you can ignore. You get to decide how to customize it. I guarantee you nobody will feel bad if you choose not to run everything that's in the book. For each of the hag layers, and for, for certainly this was the case for Motherhorn, I tried to think of the whole layer as a situation that's going on rather than sort of a dungeon crawl. Instead of the characters kind of walking through room to room exploring what's going on, they had a primary goal. They wanted to talk to Andalyn Moongrave. They wanted to get a hold of their lost items and they wanted to find transportation to the Palace of Heart's Desire. That was their goal. And they had a situation. Do they want to go up and knock on the front door? That's certainly an option. Do they want to sneak in with some other theater folk? They could try to do that. Do they want to go in through the caves underneath? That's what they ended up going with. But they had multiple ways that they could go in. That also means I don't have to worry about running every single room in Motherhorn. I can just run the runs that the characters go to. Because the main thing that we're focusing on is the goals of the characters and the reactions of the NPCs as the characters engage with it. That worked out really well. So thinking about Motherhorn as an overall situation going on, not as a dungeon where they're going to crawl from room to room, I think is a really good way to think of it. I talked about choosing your NPCs and in certain groups of NPCs that I almost completely eliminated. And that was the League of Malevolence and Valor's Call, particularly Valor's Call. I had members of the League of Malevolence show up from time to time and I dropped in rumors of their inclusion, but the players never really grabbed onto it. It really kind of didn't matter when it came to saving Zabilna. It affected why the whole situation occurred, but it really didn't matter on dealing with them. Same with Valor's Call. I don't think I ever introduced Valor's Call. And it worked out just fine. You didn't really need them in the end. The idea that the hags brought the League of Malevolence to create a situation that Zabilna had to deal with so they could use the cauldron, that worked out just fine. But you don't really have to spend a lot of time on these characters. And I really didn't, and it worked out just fine. By the time I got to the Palace of Heart's Desire, I was pretty ready to be done with this adventure. I was really enjoying it, but the, the pacing of the adventure had gotten to the point where I really just wanted to have a firm conclusion. And I only ended up running three chambers out of the 51 chambers that exist in the Palace of Heart's Desire. It is a huge location and it's got a lot going on. It's got certain doors that are locked. It's got certain doors that aren't locked. It's got certain puzzles you have to follow. You can run it that way if you want, but you can also just leave all the doors open and let the characters explore and let them get right to their goal if you think that that time is on the side. I have a Reddit post linked in my notes below that talks about running the Palace of Heart's Desire and how it can be definitely tricky to operate in. So you might want to take a look at that post and give a good read to that chapter if you plan on running it as it is in the book. For me, I was happy to just get them through the front door, get them into the garden, fight a Jabberwock, go up to a tower, see some stuff going on in the central chamber, and then get to Zabilna's chamber and fight the main bad guy and be done. So I only ended up running three real chambers out of all of the Palace of Heart's Desire. And that's one of the reasons why I've combined this video together into chapter four and chapter five together. If you do decide to add dreadful incursions into the Wild Beyond the Witchlight, one thing you can do is, that, is have one of the Dreadlords become aware of the fact that these incursions are taking place and see it as an opportunity to escape from their domain of dread. In my case, I had Vladeska Drakov, the main dark lord from the world of Falkovnia, became aware that these dreadful domains were occurring and used it to try to escape. And she actually managed to for a little while. She got in to Prismir. She got in and, and said, I'm going to kill Zabilna and I'm going to take over as a fey lord. I will be the ruler over Prismir and I will have escaped finally from my torment of Falkovnia. It didn't work out for her. It's great to have this idea of a central villain and having her become the central villain of the campaign kind of near the end worked out really well. Vadeska worked out really well for me, but you could pick any of the Dreadlords. You could have Strahd show up if you want. You could have any one of the Dark Lords that exist in these other domains. They could potentially be the main villain of the game if they figure out how to breach through one of the domains of Dread and reach the Palace of Heart's Desire in an attempt to escape their own torment. 
I wanted to offer some of my thoughts at this point having run the adventure. I'm going to do a longer video where I talk about the adventure overall and my overall review, but I just want to give a quick summary of things that are going on. One is, I'm really enjoying the adventure as written. I find that it supports me very well, it gives me the material I need, and I'm able to modify it to create the kind of campaign I want to run for my group. So I really like the design. I don't feel like I have to fix this campaign. That's something that really differentiates a really good campaign from a bad campaign, is how much work I have to do to wrangle it into a position where I like it. In this case, I'm changing lots of stuff. The campaign is very different than it's written in the book, but none of that do I feel like I have to do. It's very easy for me to take the material in this book and change it into the kind of campaign I want to run. Second, I have been using this idea of Domains of Dread throughout my entire campaign, and I really like it. It worked out. I did it from the beginning to the end, and I really enjoyed using it. So if that's an idea that you want to try, you aren't sure if it works out, it may not work out for you, but it definitely worked out for me, and it was definitely an angle on the adventure that I enjoyed, and I think my players enjoyed it too. So now I'm going to take a little bit of a deeper look at particularly on chapter four, which is the chapter on Jan and Motherhorn, the domain of Endolin Moongrave, the hag from Endolin Moongrave. As I mentioned, I used the idea of Little Oak, the Trent in Thither, as the guide that could take the characters from Thither to Jan. And that worked out really well. It gave them a nice home base. Uh, I skipped the idea of using the oil can, and I know it kind of breaks the Wizard of Oz motif, but I didn't, I didn't care. And it meant that the characters had a nice home base that followed them from one location to the other. And I think the players appreciated that too. It was nice for them to have a place they could go back to and NPCs that they could continue to interact with because the getaway gang, in mine, it was, they were known as the FUs. These were a bunch of kids that had made their way to Prismere after the characters had met them back in the Witchlight Carnival. So bringing that whole group meant they had this traveling group of NPCs that they could hang out with. They built really strong relationships, sort of adopted siblings that they had. So they have really strong relationships with those kids by the end of the campaign. I think that the conflict between the Chords and the Briganox worked out really well. This idea that each group hates the other group, and they sort of have like small issues with the other group, but then they both think that they are directly supporting Endolin Moongrave, when it turns out that neither group is supporting Endolin Moongrave, was a fun situation for the characters to navigate. They sort of started off by saying, oh yeah, those Briganox sound like real jerks, and they'd talk to the Briganox and goes, you, you guys aren't jerks after all, and they'd go and negotiate a truce. That worked out really well. It was a nice way to interact with two conflicting groups and get them to join together and give them a common cause of like, hey, we will give you passageway through the caves underneath the mountains to reach your destination further on. That worked out really well. The whole thing theme of huge lightning rods on these mountains gave Jan a far more interesting atmosphere than I think the other two domains. The other two domains were definitely cool, but this idea of huge mountains with these great big rods and lightning that would strike from a storm and arc its way across the mountainside was a really neat thematic element. It was something I really enjoyed describing to the players and reinforcing while they explored. I loved the NPCs of, of Amador, Pollyanna, and Mudlump. I thought that their, their interactions, their strife was really, really fun. Amador met the characters to begin with Pollyanna is just a bee, right? One of the things I think I changed is that Pollyanna is just a great big bee. She doesn't really talk. She doesn't really say anything, but she is definitely a queen and she definitely wants to be treated like a queen. And Amador is in love with her and Amador wants to protect her against everything else and hires the characters or, or asks the characters to go and kill this evil Mudlump and take care of him who's trying to capture her again. Then they go and they meet Mudlump and he's not such a bad dude. He just wants to run his beehive, right? And they ended up working a truce between the three of them as well. And it ended up with Pollyanna is happy to be back with her hive because she gets worshipped by all these other bees. And Amador is happy to be her primary guard. And he always stands out front of the beehive, making sure nobody screws with the bees. And he still doesn't like Mudlump, and Mudlump still doesn't like him. But they have this truce going on between them. And that worked out really well. It was one of the nice sort of conflicts that can occur in Wild Beyond the Witchlight that the players can navigate and figure out. I really enjoyed that. They kind of consider it a small encounter. The Mudlump encounter and the, astro and the Astronomer's Throne encounter, they both kind of consider those to be side encounters. But I think both of them are really fun. The Astral Throne is a really interesting way to give some multiple 
multiverse vibe to this whole thing. If one of the characters sits in the throne, they might get a whole view of the multiverse. You could even drop in some sort of spell jammer or radiant citadel stuff in here if you wanted to. If you want to hint at other campaign worlds that exist, this would be a good place to do it. They could see things that could lead into other campaigns that you would want to run. I actually used it to reinforce the one of the characters draw to become a plane walker. That when they sat there, they got to see the planes up above. They could see the interaction of the domains of dread and prismere. They could learn things and it got them closer. Their minds sort of changed to becoming more like a plane walker. It was really interesting. But there's also a good opportunity to add in an interesting tag along NPC, which is this idea of Mazakoth, who is this sort of plane walker stuck in this throne, but the spirit might follow them. The spirit might embed one of them. It might become like on their shoulder or, or you know, running sidecar in their brains, or it might infect one of their magic items. And now they've got an NPC they can learn from who can tell them about what's going on in the world, can tell them about how Prismere is getting ripped to shreds. If you have them, can tell them about the domains of dread, but they're not an NPC that's following along physically. It's just an NPC who's sort of floating there with the characters, either as a magic item or just as a spirit sort of in their heads. Really great way to run a tag along NPC. I never ended up actually running the Fey Beacons and the Mime Periton, so I don't know how that played out. It's unfortunate because it looked really cool. It just never actually came up in my game. The flame skulls that guard the bridge underneath the mine was actually a really fun role-playing opportunity for my characters. I changed that scene a little bit. I had one of the flame skulls come forward and sort of hairball vomited up a bunch of empty dark crystals. And he said, in order for you to pass, each of you needs to put a dark wish into one of these crystals. You have to, each character had to come up with a dark wish, something really sinister. And oh my God, the kind of stuff the characters came up with, the sort of stuff the players came up with is their dark wish was really, really rough. I don't, I don't even want to disclose them all because it's pretty hardcore, but they came up with a lot of things and it was on their own. Like it wasn't anything X Cardi that anybody had to say like, Hey, I really don't like it. We came up with, cause also it's like, it's just their dark wish. They don't actually plan on doing it. It's just, what did their character think about? But lots of murder and lots of like taking things over and lots of like becoming dreadlords and all sorts of stuff that they threw into these things. They put their darkest wishes in these. It, I, it went beyond my expectations. I thought this might be a fun sort of role play opportunity that each character has to give a dark wish to the flame skulls in order to pass through. And it worked way better than I thought. So it was, a, it was a neat idea that you might take and drop into your own game. One thing I did is I added a whole other location underneath Motherhorn. This is a location the characters navigated while they were making their way into Motherhorn through the basement. And it was a series of caves called Mercandraw Caves. I actually took the name from the Mercandraw Swamps where apparently Baba Yaga lives, uh, who's the mother to the three hags and also the adopted mother of Zabilna. One of the things I had is that Zabilna had moved a lot of her hag stuff down in there and so had the sisters. So there was lots of different sort of hag sort of things down in these chambers. It was sort of like their storage cellar. It was their place to stash their stuff so that the rest of the world wouldn't know who they are or the kind of things they do. And a couple of the things I did worked out really well. Basically, I took a lot of the things from the Palace of Hearts Desire that I didn't think the characters might see and I put them down in this cave where I was sure that they would. So it was a way for me to bring some of those things in. So one of the examples is I had a chamber where there was a huge gilded cage that had been ripped open. This massive cage had been ripped open as though a beast from the inside had gotten free. It was actually the Jabberwock. And the characters had gotten ideas that the Jabberwock was free, but they didn't tie the connection yet together that the Jabberwock came from here. And it said, like, do not open this cage. It bites, right? And it's already opened the things out there. And they don't know what the hell that was, but it had already flown out of the caves. 
And then they found a barrel nearby that said, if it gets free, you're going to want one of these. And in the barrel is a bunch of old rusty swords. And Zabilna didn't know which one was it, but one of them is a Vorpal sword. She couldn't be bothered to figure out which one. So she's like, just put all the swords down there. But one of them is a Vorpal sword and the characters managed to get the Vorpal sword. That should be a a good sign. Like, oh, I know what was in that cage because this is a Vorpal sword and we know Vorpal swords go after Jabberwocks. Uh, Then the other, one of the other cages had the owl. There's a giant owl that flies around uh, the palace of Heart's Desire. I had the owl in a cage so the characters could set this owl free. The owl flies out and get bigger they would watch it getting bigger and bigger as it's flying out of the caves so that was kind of a neat connection that all these three you have the jabberwock you have the owl who hates the jabberwock because they had to share this cave for all this time and a basket full of swords one of which happens to be a vorpal sword i had a virtual farmstead sort of an illusory farmstead a hag farmstead that the hags had put together where they had some real catablepuses just hanging out and grazing and the character's like hey look at those giant cows and then one would look at them and they'd almost fall over dead from the catablepuses death ray eye attack and it's because because the hags like catablepus milk. They like to have it in their tea or whatever. So they have some catablepuses down here in the caves and the characters got to see them. But I think the thing that worked best was a obsidian statue of the demon prince Grazd. And he's standing there, this beautiful obsidian statue. The statue's leaning on, on, on sorrow, his great big wavy longsword. And in one hand, he's got a sending stone. And the sending stone is a sending stone that connects directly to Grazd. So if a character picks it up, you know, they can talk directly to Grazd. And the reason why is Zabilna, who we all know, big spoilers, is Igwilf. Igwilf had a relationship with Graz. Sometimes it was it was an on-again, off-again relationship. Sometimes they were friends, sometimes they were enemies. Wasn't really sure. He's never really sure. She might not even be really sure. But she liked to keep his phone number around. She'd keep her, she'd keep his digits handy, just in case she wanted to call. She kind of stuck in her basement. So we had the, one of the characters picked it up, was like, hello. And he's like, he's like, hey babe, how's it going? And like, uh, he's like, are we fighting again or are we loving? I can't remember. I can't remember where we left things off. And they're like, uh, and he's, is this, is this Igwilf? Who is this? Right. And they're like, my name's Kolshek. And like, Kolshek, who the hell's Kolshek? Right. And so <laughs> the characters got to talk to him. Now, when the characters first saw the statue, they had like immediate stress effects, blood's coming out of their eyes. They're, they, they feel like all the bones have left their body. Their heart stops. All kinds of terrible things happen just from seeing it. And then they got to like interact with it and realize, oh my God, we can actually talk to Grazd. And one of the characters kind of, kind of had a thing for him. Like, oh, you know, he sounds like a nice man. He sounds like a nice guy. I might like to go out for coffee or something with him. Like it's Grazd, a demon person in the abyss. He's like, I know, but you know, he sounded nice. Right. So that was really fun. That was one of the best character interactions that I had. One of the, it was something I was really looking forward to having in there when I thought, first thought of this whole cave area and i was like what if there was a statue of grazd with a sending stone so you could talk to grazd because zabilna likes from time to time giving grazd a call i thought really really fun so now i'm just going to talk quickly about motherhorn you can actually run motherhorn as a larger situation you can tell the characters what their goals are what are the things that they need to do when they go there they need to get any of their lost things and they need to get transportation to the palace of heart's desire how they decide to get these things is up to them and you want to leave it open do they run a play my characters actually ran a terrible terrible play really dark play with really low moral connections and no redeeming message or anything and endolin liked it so much that she had an audience with them and then she started learning about the dreadful incursions they actually pulled out a, a, a stone statue head from one of the other worlds that turned into a flame skull and they had to fight it and deal with that and she was so overtaken by this she's like if you give me that i will give you your lost things and i will give you transportation to the palace of heart's desire she's like i'll particularly give you that 
because I know the Jabberwock is out there and he's just going to kill you anyway, right? She didn't say that part. It was a really neat interaction. But the main thing that happened here is I, you did not, I did not need to run every single room. I had things going on in the chambers that they investigated, but most of it was dealing with the situation going on, not really worrying about them having to crawl through the place. They did some, spend some time in the orrery and they actually brought uh, Endelin came with them to the orrery and they manipulated the orrery to create a eclipse which put her immediately freaked her out because she's sure at that point she's going to be killed and she's begging for her life and that made ne negotiations with her were certainly easier at that point she gave the characters access to the palace of heart's desire by taking them to a tower and huge cranes they could jump on the back of huge cranes and fly across and get to the palace bridge i didn't spend a tremendous amount of time in motherhorn maybe a session or two it's another great big lair with lots and lots of rooms but i certainly didn't have to run it that way and i certainly didn't and it worked out just fine now i'm adding chapter five into this video because i really don't have a lot to say about the palace of heart's desire I only ended up running three of the 51 chambers that are in there, and part of it was based on the situation that occurred in my game. In my game, Vladeska Drakov, the Dark Lord from Falkovnia, had made her way into the Palace of Heart's Desire with a bunch of with a bunch of her Blood Raven knights, and they had already broken through a lot of doors. They'd already taken things over. The characters actually saw Vladeska Drakov mortally wound Kellek which is a really fun juxtaposition of the different character types. Kellek is very much like a cartoon enemy, right? He was very much like a mustache twirling bad guy. But Vladeska Drakov, she's hardcore. She's a real bad guy. So he's like talking to her and talking boastfully and saying all these like cliche villain things. And she stabs him, stabs him right through the chest. Her big glyphed sword went right through his chest, leaves him dying on the ground and walks away. She doesn't have time for comic book villains. That was a really fun situation. But I basically only ran three different locations in this and it worked out fine for me again there's a reddit thread that i've linked in the show notes below that can talk about some of the issues with the way that the rooms are interconnected and which doors have to open and which doors do the characters need to get to in order to get to other chambers it can be a real slog if you try to run every single room in that location so i knew i wasn't going to run it that way and i said i am just going to have everybody you go to the front garden fight a jabberwock then go inside see some weird stuff going on recognize the fact that the soldiers of falkovnia have made their way there maybe see this interaction between Kellek and Vladeska Drakov, and then go to the final chamber where they see Zabilna and it, and it all works out. For my big conclusion, I actually had Vladeska Drakov be the main enemy that the characters needed to fight. As a Dark Lord who came from a Domain of Dread into Prismere, she has been churning Prismere into another Domain of Dread, unwillingly. She doesn't really realize that she's doing this. She thinks she has escaped, but the reality is that Domain follows her. She will just turn this place into a place just as bad as the place she left. Now, she doesn't recognize that she just wants escape so the characters ended up fighting vladeska and a whole bunch of her minions in this final chamber I, I built this nice little dwarven forge set up here you can see the portal that leads to falkovnia on the wall that's sort of corrupted even the whole wall has been corrupted by this dark influence of falkovnia's of, of the dreadful incursion sort of bleeding into the world and then you can see the big crystal that's where zabilna is then her throne and i had her cauldron in the center and the cauldron you could actually channel arcane energy into it and it would create interesting magical effects. I actually took a few different magical effects from the book Deep Magic by Kobold Press. I wanted some weird spells that nobody had seen before, and I wanted to tie them to the cauldron. It was a really hard battle. I used the Blackguard stat block for Vladeska Drakov, and that worked really well. She was really, really hardcore. She dished out a lot of damage, very dangerous. In the end, the Barbarian, using
releasing his rage, grabbed her and hurled her back through the portal, back into Falkovnia, where the connection was broken and she was trapped once again in her domain. And it saved Prismere. So a really neat big final battle. At the end of the campaign, the characters used the unicorn horn to release Zabilna. She revealed herself. They had already known at this point who it was. They, they realized that it was Igwilf. And Igwilf said... You know, I just wanted to relax. Like, I'm just trying to get out of, of uh, all this plain stuff and all this weird stuff. I got so many people hunting me down. I've got alliances that I can't remember. I've got people coming after me I can't remember. I just, I needed a vacation. Basically, her going to Prismere was her version of Airbnb. She just wanted it some time away, and she thought it'd be fun to be an Archfey for a while. But now she realizes she can't keep up with this. And at that point, she said, I got to hand the crown over to somebody else. Hey, who here wants to be a Fey Lord over Prismere? And one of the players, Bella, said... I'll do it. Bella was actually a cleric of a trickster god who was Zabilna and then found out she is such a trickster god. She wasn't even really Zabilna or a god, but somehow it still worked out. So she said, I'll become the new Archfey. And she said, here you go. So Bella became the Archfey over Prismere. Prismere started going back together. Zabilna said, I guess I'm going to have to go fix this domain of dread problem. It's like a bunch of string of pearls where all the pearls are free. And now I got to string them back again. And she said, hey, Ori, how would you like to come with me? I know you're now into plane hoppy sort of stuff. I can teach you all about the planes. I know all about them. By the way, that demonomicon of Ilgwilv that's in your pocket, which she picked up in the library down in that hag lair, you can keep that. He's like, I don't know. If I want to. She's like, there's some interesting stuff in there. It's like, I know, but it's a demon kind of egg well. It's really scary. At that point, they had rescued Zabilna. They had saved the day. Prismere is good. And at that point, they did a one year later montage. This is something I love doing in every campaign I run. I love to just stop, sit back and say, let's jump one year in the future. Where are the characters now? And that kind of stuff was just always a, a joy. And it came up that Bella, of course, had become the Archfey of Prismere. She's dealing with the whole situation. You know, fancy courts coming. She's dealing with the summer court who don't really like her because, again, she's a new she's new Archfey and like we're, they're old they're old school, old blood. But she became the new Archfey. And from time to time, she kept the sending stone and might give Graz the call and say, hey, Graz, how's it going? You want to you want to go? get coffee kind of fun tarch who was a sadder rogue he became a constable for prismere he was kind of dealing with you know kind of going around making sure everything's going smooth but he ended up spending all of his time trying to deconstruct all of the murders that occur with the bullywugs he just never could get ahead of them every time he figured out what one person did to murder it turned out two other people had been murdered so he had like the mother of all sort of conspiracy charts on his board trying to keep track of all of the bullywug royalty murdering one another ori as i mentioned became a plane walker she went and traveled off across the multiverse going visiting planes, learning from Igwilv, learning how to do this, but also becoming quite a plane, plane hopper on her own, becoming a plane walker all on her own. Really cool. Intimidating Cake, he became, Intimidating Cake was a tabaxi bard. He ended up taking over the Witchlight Carnival. He sort of became like the overboss, right? So Witch and Light were still operating the carnival, but Cake was there really to bring some like law and order to the carnival. And he brought this law and order by bringing in all of his family and friends who are all a bunch of grifters on their own. So he just kind of move the grift over to his people which is hysterical like oh yeah i'll take over and everything be smooth and then he just fills it with his own kind of his own take of criminals with money flowing upstream kolshek had a father who was actually an, an archdevil who was trapped in a domain of dread and kolshek's bracelet the thing that his lost item was a bracelet that his father had that had it was his father's bracelet he could use it and he reached down into the cauldron and drew his father back out this archdevil back out and they basically did the same sort of violation that Vladeska Drakov did, but they they said you know, but Zabilna basically told the the the, the dark powers, you're going to let this one be okay, and they're like, we'll see. And it ended up Kolshek one year later is with his father going down into hell to face 
Asmodeus to confront him about being stuck in that domain of dread in the first place. So we definitely had some like cool, dark stuff going on there. And the big question of was he stuck? Why was his father put in a domain of dread in the first place? The claim was he was put there because he was an archdevil who fell in love with an Aladrin and that can't stand. But the reality might be something far darker than that. So that was really cool. I love those one year later montages. They are just really, really fun ways to end a campaign. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it this time. So this ends my video taking a look at chapters four and five from Wild Beyond the Witchlight. If you enjoyed it, you can check out the entire series in the playlist. It'll be linked in the show notes below. You can also help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter, supporting me directly on Patreon, picking up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore, or sharing this video, subscribing to my channel, and sharing it with your friends. I hope you enjoyed this video. Thank you all very much. Have a great day, and get out there and play some D&D.